0: So I remember getting lost uh, when I was about six years old. I was in a Sears with my dad and my brother. Does anybody remember Sears? Is that still a thing? Okay, excellent. excellent. Is It is still a thing? Oh, I Okay, kind of. Okay. I, I haven't seen a Sears in a long time, so I'm not sure. Oh, yes, exactly. It is. Yes. Um, while, while we were in this, in this Sears, um, I don't remember what we were in there for, but I, I, we were walking down the aisle and my, uh, six-year-old brain, uh, was, uh, my, my attention was grabbed by this, this super, uh, high-tech, it was brand new, it was this beautiful washing machine, and... I, I I went off and I I I was looking at this thing, man. The the I guess what is that thing? It's like a the the beater or in the basket. It was all it was all great. Is is that is it called a beater? The agitator. The agitator thank you. I guess beater sounds a lot more violent than an agitator does. Um, but um, I uh, so. At that moment, I, I, I realized I was either born a 40-year-old or just really distractible. Um, but I loved this washing machine, and I thought it was only a few seconds that I was watching it, but it ended up being roughly about 15 minutes or so. Um, and I turned around to my horror. My dad and my brother were gone. And I was terrified. It was a super busy day. There were a lot of people in there and everybody was passing me by I was just kind of wandering around not knowing where to go not knowing uh what to do and nobody was helping me um I felt uh unimportant uh I felt completely invisible and that that feeling that sense of loneliness was just just palpable in that moment in 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 that experience now, have any of y'all ever been lost as a child? Okay, a lot of people, excellent. Um, <laughs> well, oh sorry, not, not excellent, but <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone in that. Um, <laughs> but um, what about as an adult? Because being lost isn't necessarily uh, a, a unique experience to children. Have you ever been lost as an adult? And I know, especially now, it's, it's a lot easier to, to be lost physically uh, with GPS on our, on our phones and on our watches and, and almost everywhere, um, but we can experience that, that feeling of being lost in, in a number of different ways. I, I, I don't know if you're like me, but you may experience that feeling when you look under the hood of a car, or maybe um, when you uh, move to a new town or city, or maybe you felt lost through the deconstruction of your faith, or when a relationship has broken apart, or when a loved one is, is suffering or, or passes away. Now, if you've experienced being lost in, in, in any of these forms, or maybe you're experiencing that now, what I'd like us to do is take a, a, a little bit of time to just kind of think on that, and, and maybe, maybe close your eyes, um, but think on, on that moment, past or present, and just give yourself the chance to feel Now, what did or are you feeling? Scared? Scared? Frantic. Frantic? So, what you were feeling then, whether it's scared, frantic, alone, unimportant, invisible, ignored... That's what I imagine that that sheep felt as it wandered the hillside. And take that feeling that you were experiencing and, and hold on to it, because we are going to come back to it. Now, I wasn't originally going to preach on this passage, um, I, I was trying to think on an, uh, a, a, of a few other things, but I, I have been on a, a big parable kick recently. Um, I, I love parables, I, I love parables. Um, I chose a parable um, as uh, the story for the uh, godly play parent experience. Um, Gravity students, they have been uh, working through Jesus' parables. Um, and the reason I love them is, is because there is just so much in them that we can actually um, make our own. We can really mine them, um, and we can also experience um, how, how other people have, have made them their own. And in, in this parable, like so many of the ones that Jesus tells, it's filled with a, a massive amount of uh, hyperbole and irony and exaggeration that is very very easy for us to miss after several thousand years have passed and that's created this this wide cultural gap Uh, thankfully about this with this parable there is a really really easy and short setup and it's it's in verse 12 and jesus says what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep that's the setup that's it jesus is asking the opinion on one man and 100 sheep. Now, to clarify a few things, if, if a single individual owned 100 sheep in first century Israel, this individual would have been very, very wealthy. They were very well off. So poor and common folk, when they had sheep, um, they had on average maybe two or 20, or 220, and they owned them to meet the basic needs of their family unit, however many people that may have been. But with 100 sheep, this was someone who probably had their own business. They probably had several employees as well, and they may have sold wool for for clothes, uh, for they may have harvested the milk from the sheep. They may have uh, sold sheep skins, ram horns. They may have even sold the sheep for for meat or even as sacrifices. And today, you could probably imagine them as having a couple uh, brick and mortar storefronts, uh, healthy e-commerce presence, warehouse, wool processing facility, uh, partnerships with clothing and textile manufacturers. So this was somebody who, who was had a thriving, thriving business. But that's not necessarily the, the, the far-fetched part. That's not the hyperbole or the irony or the exaggeration. Wealthy people existed in Jesus' day. It's what come, comes next that would have surprised them. In 12b, he, Jesus goes on to say, And one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And the frank answer to that is no, no, absolutely not. He would not have left 99 sheep to go look for one. It, it, it probably wouldn't have felt good to have his, his property eaten by wolves or to, to fall off a cliff or just to be lost to the elements, but but why would he go after it, and and in fact, why does it seem he's the only one there? Uh, where his shepherds? Surely he would have had shepherds to help him look after that many sheep. And, and then, how can even how can one person even notice when one sheep out of a hundred? In, in the the hills or the the fields or the the plains of Israel just wanders off because he would have so many things that he would have to be overseeing with with this sheep business with this wool business with milk and and all these other things to to just be the only one looking after these sheep and to even be there at all, and, and especially if it meant that he would have to leave behind ninety nine because When you're a businessman those 99 are the sheep that are making him money that's his bread and butter not that one that went off and if he has this many sheep he's probably breeding them and to breed one more sheep is not that difficult yet the parable goes on in 13 jesus says and if he finds it truly i tell you he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. And, and it, it, it baffles me, because as, as someone who has, has worked in retail, who's um, had, to, had to manage uh, massive amounts of, of product, I really don't know how this guy would have as many sheep as he does. He really seems like he'd run a business into the ground, because if he leaves those 99, he's leaving them open to all sorts of bad things. And it seems as if his priorities are kind of mixed up. And Jesus finishes up saying in this parable, in the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. And what's interesting is that this conclusion begs a question. And that question is, are God's priorities mixed up? Is, is, is God, who Jesus is saying would, would do the same thing as this, as this, shepherd, as this owner of, of these sheep, go after this one so that he could bring it back into the fold to safety? Are God's priorities mixed up, or, maybe, are ours? Now, in Godly Play and Gravity, uh, which is our student ministry, uh, when we hear a, a story or read from the scriptures, uh, we'll often wonder together, and we'll, we'll wonder together using a, a series of questions that help connect our minds and our hearts. And one of the questions that we'll use is just to simply observe what part of the passage are our thoughts and feelings drawn to in that particular moment. And a couple weeks ago, we actually read this in in Gravity, and I was really drawn to the phrase in verse 14. It says these little ones. And I noticed that this phrase appears earlier in the chapter. Starting in in verse 1 of chapter 18, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, and we'll stop right there, because that's our key phrase. Now, first of all, were I that child that Jesus called over, I would feel a little bit awkward if I was just plopped into the middle of a group of adults and then talked about. Um, But second, um, the phrase, these little ones, the the, the meaning is a a little bit clearer now. Because when, when Jesus says, little ones, he's talking about someone in this kind of lowly position of a child. But what does that mean? Now, we have a lot of parents in the room. Um, So raise your hand if you're a parent. Yeah, tons of parents in the room. How many of your kids are CEOs of of large companies or are super wealthy? How many many of your kids um, uh, pay your bills? Right. (laughs) How many, okay, how many of your kids are... Uh, influential politicians, maybe here in, in Memphis, um, maybe they can kind of get you in with some people. No, no, okay. What about uh, religious leaders? Do we have any children who are religious leaders? No, okay. Can any of your kids pull strings to get you a better job? So, just like today, children were definitely wanted. They were valuable, but they're vulnerable, they have a lot of needs, and they can't really give back to you in the same regard, or in the same way, that you give to them. And in, in the first century, they really weren't even considered useful to the family until they were older adolescents and adults. So ch- children are, are similar to how the crowd Jesus was speaking to might view that one sheep in the parable. Important and valuable, yes, but the 99 should take up so much more attention because they are what's really driving the business. They're what's really making money for the family they are what's most valuable. So what I think this phrase little ones means it isn't just weak and vulnerable first century children, but anyone who, who may be ignored and forgotten and vulnerable, who, who society at large may, may see as, as you know, having worth as a human, but maybe not worth my time or my effort or my energy. And it seems to me that, that Christ shows us through this parable that that God is what we may call uh, a radical attention payer. So the man who owned a hundred sheep and, and kept watch over them alone, not only was able to notice one of the when one of those sheep went missing, but he saw its immense value above what what anyone else would would think would be common sense and so this man went and sought it out found it and celebrated it and 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 was able to to affirm the the dignity and the value that this one sheep had that others might have missed and, and God is like this. God notices and sees value in all things. Especially in those things that we might see not be able to return our investment. Just like you love and, and adore and value your children, even though they can't always do as much for you as you do for them. And just like you would go to the ends of the earth for your children, so would God. Now, take that feeling that you felt before as, as we were experiencing what it was like when you were or are lost. And, and close your eyes again. I'm going to do the same. And envision that time, and really feel what you felt. And, and in that, that memory, in that experience, in that feeling, notice the one there who notices you. See, see Christ there with you, seeing you. And what happens with that feeling? What happens with that emotion as, as Christ em, embraces you and, and finds you and, and seeks you out in that and, and is willing to be there with you and feel that with you? What happens there? You can open your eyes. Earlier we read in verse 5, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. As as I see it, the, the point of this parable isn't just it isn't simply to explain how, how God perceives the, the value and the immense worth in, in, in all people, although it definitely does do that. But what I think Christ wants to communicate is, is how we are to imitate that. And, and maybe a better word is to actually embody the person of God within ourselves. And be that, that radical attention payer. Certainly for other people, but, and, and, but also within ourselves. And, and, that, and so that we are able to extend the divinity's uh, notice and, and embrace of all people to, to whoever we can. Because we, we, we are not God. It would be difficult for us to, to see the, the one sheep wandering off in, in, the, in the herd of 99. But God can and calls us to do what we can. Now, eventually, my, my dad and my brother found me in that Sears, um, of course, after I had him paged. But that, that one feeling, that, that, that experience of, 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 of just severe crushing loneliness and fear, to, to have so many people walk by as I, I stood, stood there helpless and invisible. I, I can't forget what that experience was like. And it's, it's helped me to, to be able to see, um, to e- even just a little bit more, others who, who may be in that same situation, whether a child or an adult. At our soup kitchen, several of our regulars um, that I've, I've been able to talk to have, have told me that, that the most painful thing for them isn't when someone doesn't give them money or, or doesn't give them them food. That's very important. What is most painful for them is, is simply being ignored, alone, and invisible. For people in, in cars or who are walking on the street just to pretend they don't exist rather than offering them a nod or a wave and, and actually acknowledging their value and worth and dignity as a human. But but we don't just ignore the, the, the strangers that, that we see. Maybe we are so focused on work that we've failed to notice our, our spouse or our children. Maybe we have uh, been been so focused on on our social media presence or on 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 consuming information and entertainment that we have ignored our our family our friends or maybe we're we 're so focused on on the needs and wants of others that we even fail to pay attention to ourselves and acknowledge that that worth and that dignity that we have and so my 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 challenge is Who are the little ones in our lives that we aren't paying attention to? But then also, what in our lives are the 99 sheep that we are paying attention to that's preventing us from noticing what's wandering away? Let's pray. God, thank you so, so much for seeing us, for noticing us, and for seeing the, the inherent value and dignity and worth in us. God, I just ask that, that you, would, you would send us out as your radical attention payers, that we would notice the value and the worth in others and ourselves, and that we would embody you to the best of our ability in this. Amen.